0: is take him at his word. Take him at his word. So to give you the answer to the test, the him is God. Like God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of everything that he asks from us. And I believe that he's actually clearly defined how we can have a relationship with him, how we can trust him and follow him, and even the way we should behave after we believe in him. To take him at his word. Here's what I really want for you today. It comes from Colossians 3.16 that says, let the message about Jesus Christ in all its richness, I love that it throws that in there, because it means it has some value, that it means it has some wealth to it that is important to our life. So let the good news message about Jesus and all its richness, it's got some value behind it, fill your lives. I want you to be filled today. I don't want you to leave empty. I don't want you to leave burdened with all these things that you have to do. I want you to leave with a freedom and a feeling knowing that I can trust God at his word. And we're gonna spend some time looking at his word today. Because write this down for me. Here's what a deep dive life centers on. A deep dive life trusts God's word and walks in it. It trusts that God is who he says he is. It trusts that God has done what he has done throughout all of creation and throughout all of time. And not only does it trust it, but it walks in it as well. It's one thing to trust a rule or to trust a thing that you've been given, but it's a completely different thing to walk in it. And I want you to know that it is not a question of who God is, it's answered right here. That what separates Christianity from every other religion and philosophy is the fact that God has clearly revealed himself to us. That God has clearly let us know what he's all about. And our simple step to take a deep dive is just to trust him at his word. I did do this this week at my house. Um, we have my, my mom comes over and watches our kids on Monday, watches our little baby Teddy who is gonna be a year old next month. Can't believe it, he's chunky fat and full of awesome, but he's gonna be a year already, which is awesome next month. And she comes and watches him, and on Monday she texts me and she said, hey, there's a whole bunch of water coming out of the bottom of your sink. And as a homeowner, that's not an exciting text, right? That's not a text you get and you're like, awesome, I was hoping that would happen. Flowing water through the kitchen, that sounds great. Just what I had on my inventory and on my budget plan for this week, right? Well, what she noticed was that our garbage disposal was leaking out just dirty, disgusting water everywhere. And she was nice enough to put a little like container under it to catch all that grossness and that was what I got to go home to and open up and I I Googled, okay, water coming out the bottom of the disposal, what does that mean? And every single top result on Google was like, broken, need replacement. Great. Can't it just be something where I gotta pull something out or no, I gotta replace the garbage disposal, right? And so, what I love about the resources that we have in 2023 is there's this thing called YouTube University. And so, I went to Home Depot, got a new garbage disposal, tried to make it the same brand and everything, but I pulled up that YouTube video and watched how to take the old disposal out and put the new one in, and come on, with somebody, we got a fresh new garbage disposal in the Miller household, and it works. I mean, that's a big key, and it works. I could tell you it's in there, but you wouldn't know if it's working, all right? And sometimes I just walk, I, I mean, there's nothing in there. There's nothing, no reason for it to be on, but I'm just proud of myself as a man. I just walk by and flip the switch and listen to that sweet sound of mm, working because, because I'm excited that it works. I did it, I accomplished something, right? And what's funny is when I was watching that YouTube video, at no point did I think, okay, I can pause this and go on my own. I'll just figure it out. At no point was I like, well, I don't really understand what this video is telling me or that step, so I'm just gonna try and figure out on my own and do my own thing. I don't wanna get under the sink, it's dirty under there. Maybe I can do it another way. No, I followed that video to a T because I wanted to do it right. And I knew this repair man who had like 500,000 views on this garbage disposal video knew better than I did. If you wanna have a deep dive in your faith, you gotta simply just put on that YouTube video and say, God, whatever you're saying, I'm doing no questions. Because I know at the end of it, I'm gonna get the satisfaction of that I am repaired and restored and made whole. And also, when life gets crazy, I can know I can just flip, flip that switch and remember, God is faithful. I can take God at his word. He truly has allowed the richness and the goodness of Jesus in his good news message, fill my life. Come on, if you're thankful for that, let's get a little excited today about what God's gonna do. And before I pray and we jump into the heart of the message in Matthew chapter four, verse four, here's what it says. It says, but Jesus told him, no. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to Satan, the enemy. Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry and he takes 40 days to go, we're doing seven. Jesus took 40 days to go pray and fast in the wilderness, separated from his friends and family and separated from food. And all he did was pray for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, the devil came to test him. If you're ever worried about if Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be tested, he does. And he knows what it's like to be tempted. And imagine at the end of these 40 days, here's what the devil says to Jesus. He says, take these stones around us, and why don't you just turn them into bread because look, Jesus, I can tell you're hungry. You're looking a little unhealthy thin, looking a little flushed in the face. This bread, just turn these stones into bread and this could help you. you could immediate, it could satisfy your immediate need. But Jesus looks the devil in the eye and he quotes scripture and now we're reading it as quoted scripture that can help us today. He says, no, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to live today. And I want you to live in the things that will never let you down. I could give you the immediate need of, hey, feel good, keep going, you're great, but that would only help you for so little. You'd get hungry again. The thing that I can give you that will last you forever, that will keep you going, is that you can trust God at his word and you can live on every single word and letter and statement that God has said over your life because it's not about me, it's about trusting God and taking him at his word. Here's some things for you today. This is why this is a miracle that I hold in my hands. The Bible has one author. Subject of the Bible is Jesus. And the verb of the Bible is give. A lot of guys put their pen to paper to write the Bible, but they were not the author. The Holy Spirit moved through tons of people to write this thing, but it only has one author, and that's our Heavenly Father God working through the Holy Spirit in people. The subject of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus. It's his story, the story of love and redemption. And I love this last one. The verb of the Bible is give. If it's been a little while since you've been in English class, verb means the action. One of the things I promise you I have never used outside of my middle school English classes is diagramming a sentence, where I can literally like diagram a sentence with like the subject, the verb, the adjectives, prepositions, all that stuff. I have never used that in my life ever again, but I'm using it now to tell you I know this stuff. So when it says subject and verb, every sentence has those two things. The verb is the action. What is God's action towards you? To give. To give. And he has given us this gift. What I hold is a miracle. And I pray that you'll see that today. And I pray that you would want to take a deep dive into all the things of God and realize that that does not come without his word, his word, his power. And we can lean on that today. Would you pray with me as we open our hearts and step into the heart of this message today? Father, I'm so thankful for everyone here. And I'm so thankful for your word. And we simply do two things. We listen and we lean in. God, for these next 20 to 25 minutes, it's all about you. And it's all about what you're speaking to us. Be with us here in this room. Be with all of our incredible local city kids team and all of our local city kids as they learn about the Bible as well, as they memorize their verse for the month, and as they learn about your son, Jesus, how he loves them and how he is their very best friend. And today, God, we give you our best attention. We give you our best focus. We write things down because we know we need it. We love you, Lord. We trust you in Jesus' name. We all say amen and amen. Would you give a shout and round of applause for everybody watching, for Local City Church online as well. We're so glad you're watching. If you're with us right now, let us know in the comment section, or if you're watching on demand, hey, we love you. We're here for you. So take him at his word. What I want to do today is give you seven statements about God's word that are completely accurate. And here's why this is valuable to you is because I believe that in our life, we naturally can tend to do the things that we don't wanna do. Have you ever done something that you really, or have you ever thought about doing something and you know you shouldn't do it, but you did it anyway? Come on somebody, let's have some honesty, two-hand honesty here at local city church, transparent and honest. That happened to me as a kid, it happens to me today. We don't wanna do these things that we know are wrong, but we do them anyway. Paul talks about it in scripture as like, I know the things that I hate doing, but for some reason, I still keep doing them. It's because sometimes what's unhealthy is what comes natural. For me, what comes natural is eating very unhealthy because unhealthy food tastes really good. But I know that's not good for me, right? What comes natural is sometimes just saying what I think or doing what I want, but that's not the healthy thing. And I've noticed this as a father of two little boys, who are very headstrong. We love them, they're passionate, they're fun, they're incredible, I'll introduce you to them after church, they're great. But they never had to be taught to do the wrong thing. I didn't have to teach them to say, okay, mine, mine. Somehow they knew it right away. (laughs) I didn't have to teach them to say no. My, my, My son Teddy is 10 months old. And again, like babies do, he has this just dedication to crawling towards the electrical outlets. I don't know why. I don't know what makes them so exciting, but you can hear his big, flappy hands slapping on our wood floors to get over to the electrical outlets. And I'm like, Teddy, don't do that, you'll die. And he looks back at me and he goes, and keeps crawling over there. And so I have to grab him, run over there, get away. He wants his his own demise, his own destruction has no power over him. He just wants to do what he wants to do. And sometimes it comes so natural. Like we're trying to teach him how to eat right now, right? So he sits in his little high chair. We cut up the fruit for him. We cut up the bananas and the avocados and all. He eats better than me, all right? Like he's got all this good stuff in front of him. And he's learning how to grab it and like, you know, smush it on his face. And it's extremely cute. But he has to get in the bath every time afterwards because it is a mess all right, and you got to clean it up right away because there's nothing worse than like sticky banana or old crusty avocado, which is gross, but you got to do it. But something happened two days ago that made me realize, I mean, we are just ingrained to do the unhealthy things. Adrian and I were eating cookies on the couch. If you want to strengthen your marriage, cookies on the couch is a great way to do that with some great TV on, on the TV for you. And so we were sitting there and Teddy was sitting with us and he crawled over to the cookie bin and grabbed a cookie with, like, perfect cookie-grabbing formation, went like this, and perfectly put it in his mouth, and took a little bite and just sat there like this. And I was like, he's never eaten anything that smoothly before with so little mess. Why does he do it with a cookie, but not with the vegetables, right? Because we love the things that are not good for us. And we need some protection in our life. We need someone like a parent to say, hey, that cookie's not good for you. We don't want you to have that even though you're eating it perfectly. The reason I'm giving you seven reasons you can trust the Bible is because you are going to have moments where you're going to that cookie of temptation or that difficult thing or that thing that is all actually going to cause you more harm and you need something to tell you, don't do that. You need something that you trust that will tell you that's not the way to live, this is the way to live. You need something to fill your life. You need something that you can trust, and I am unapologetically gonna tell you today you can trust God's word. This is more than a book. This is a tangible miracle that I hold in my hands, and I pray that you'll see that today. So write this down for me. Number one, the reason I can trust the Bible is because it is historically accurate. In Psalm 33, four, it says, "'For the word of the Lord holds true.'" Other translations say that the word of God is right and true. People love being, I love being right. I just got to tell you, I love being right. And one of the biggest things I've had to learn in my marriage is not to let Adrian know that I was right, but just to celebrate in my own internal voice, right? But sometimes I believe we got to realize that God is kind of going to say, hey, uh, I just want you to know like my word is right and it holds true today. And that it has exactly the wisdom and practicalities and steps and information and insight and inspiration that you need to know who God is, who you are, and how you can have a relationship with him and how you can have a full life with him. But I'm not just telling you to take this at like an affirmation calendar sort of level that makes you feel good for a moment, but that the Bible is actually historically accurate and the word of the Lord holds true. And you put the Bible up to any test it will pass with flying colors. Number one, just so you know this, a lot of people like to say, well, we don't have the original transcripts and texts. They would be wrong, because they are wrong. The Bible is the most evidentially proven, historical, ancient text that we have, and it's not even close. Texts that they teach in schools and hold up as accurate history, don't even have close to the evidential actual things that you can see compared to the Bible. The Bible has thousands of scrolls and manuscripts and texts that you can hold onto and see that prove what we have is accurate. But for some reason it's seen as just a religious crazy book when actually it's the most historically proven book that we have. I'll give you kind of an understanding of this, gonna take you to school a little bit, so I need you to kind of put on your thinking caps for a moment, I know it's not school, it's Sunday, but do not I promise you this is gonna help you. So Here's the thing is that when historians are trying to prove that a record is true, it must pass three different tests. If you were to say this historical event is true, it has to pass these three tests. Number one is, and you can write these down in the margins if you want, number one is eyewitness accounts. People had to see that this happened, okay? One of my things my, my son, Shepard, and my five-year-old loves to do is just come up with stories and say that he went off to his secret lab with his friends. Well, I didn't see it happen. And I, we, build, we build up his creativity, but I know it's not true because I didn't see it happen. People saw what happened in Scripture. The people that wrote the, the books that we have in this Bible were actually the eyewitnesses accounts of those who saw the miracle happen, who witnessed what God did, who heard Jesus' words. The Gospels are eyewitness accounts of that Jesus was who he said he was. It's one of the biggest things when people have gone into understanding, is this true? It's the fact that people were there and saw it happen. Like people saw Jesus, and they wrote wrote about it, and not just people within Scripture. There's Jewish historians like Josephus and Tacitus that wrote things like, there was a man named Jesus, and a ton of people followed him, and he even gave their life for him, and there is possible testimony that he walked out of the grave alive. Not a biblical author, but a historian wrote that. The second thing is is that this book has been recorded and copied with extreme care. Ever since Moses first put pen to paper thousands of years ago, people wrote this down. And it wasn't just like a thing of that you were writing down a note for someone. They took extreme caution and care. When they would copy these transcripts, it wasn't just a word for word, it was a letter for letter type copying. In fact, rabbis took writing down the scriptures so importantly that when they would get to the name of God, they would hold off writing the name of God, they would go and wash themselves, write the name of God, and then wash themselves again because of how high and esteemed they held the written word of God. Some people would say that's why. God chose the Jewish people to carry the message of his people throughout time because they believed so much in the power of the written tradition. And the third thing is archaeological confirmation. They've dug up stuff. That sounds cool to me. And they found that what the Bible says is true. And for many years when they've thought that, okay, well, the Bible missed it here, actually they just realized the Bible was ahead of them. There's an empire known as the Hittite Empire that they just discovered like within the last 150 years, but for so long they were like, "Oh, I guess the Bible missed it there." But really, the Bible didn't miss anything, they just hadn't discovered it yet. But it was another piece in the confirmation that this thing is historically accurate. The second thing is that the Holy Bible is scientifically accurate. Psalm 148:5, "Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. We were created. You were created." This world that we live in is created. Just so you know, in the year 2023, more and more research and evidence, especially in the space and astronomy side of the world and studies, more and more people are leaning towards that there definitely is intelligent design to our universe. They're not ready to say it's the God of the Bible, but they are ready to say that someone designed this thing. And we just get to tell them, hey, we knew that already, and it's God, and you can know him because every created thing gives praise to the Lord. Now quickly, let me give you some things really quick that at once, again, science is always changing. Harken back to 2020, a lot of science changed throughout that year. We won't get talking about it because I want you to keep listening to the rest of the message, but science was changing like every week. Science has changed, the Bible never has. Let me give you some statements that at one time were thought to be scientifically accurate and true, and the Bible was like, uh uh-uh, here's what's actually true. First thing was, for 2,000 years, it was believed that the earth was flat. People are still trying to make that case on social media right now. They are foolish and wrong. <laughs> but... For 2,000 years, people believed the earth was flat, that if you sailed to the edge, you would go right off. That's why Columbus was the only one brave enough to make that journey, because they believed that they're the edge of the world, you would just fall right off. But Isaiah 40, says, God sits above the what? The circle of the earth. The original language said the sphere of the earth. God knew what he created. He created it as a planet that has a shape to it that is not flat. The Bible knew what it was talking about. Second thing. For 4,000 years, scientifically believed, dating all the way back to Egypt, it was believed that the earth has to be held up by something. In some science, they believe that it was pillars or different sort of constructs that hold the, held the earth up. Like I said, in the Egyptian history, that's what they believed. So Moses was heavily influenced by that, but he didn't write that. And actually, if you were to go to the first chronological book of the Bible, it's not Genesis, it's Job. And from the very beginning, Job wrote this down, writing that God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. If you go and Google earth right now, you will see that it's just floating there, not held up by anything. But it is placed there by the hand of God under the law of gravity, in perfect location and distance from the sun and from the planets to provide life for you and I. Third thing is this, the number of the stars could be counted. There was an astronomer that took upon himself to count the stars, and he came up with a number of like 1,025. A little bit of underscoring right there, because we know there's way more than that. But the Bible said way back in the prophet of Jeremiah that the stars cannot be counted. There are billions upon billions upon billions of stars that cannot be counted. Let's bring it to a health level. For so many years, science believed that too much blood made you sick, and they had this medical practice called bloodletting, where they would literally attach leeches to you and suck the bad blood out of you. It's what killed George Washington. I'm glad I don't live during that time. Number one, because it sounds horrible. Number two, it was wrong. (laughs) But in Leviticus, come on, even Leviticus has some good stuff in it that we can hold on to. 17.11 says, for the life of the body is in its blood. Thousands of years before there was medical stuff in universities, the Bible knew what was true. Here's why you should believe it, because it's accurate historically and scientifically. I know this is dense and deep, but is this helping you today? Come on, somebody. I hope it is. If, if it's not, then you, you're getting pretty lost pretty quick, because you need to know this, how powerful this is. Number three, the Holy Bible is prophetically accurate. The Bible knew what He was doing when it began to predict what was going to happen. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 56, but this is all happening to what? To fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. If we just take it down to the story of Jesus, there are 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. 300 times where a prophet said, this is what's going to happen. All the way from that he was gonna be born of a virgin, in what city he was gonna be born in, to the fact that even David prophesied about the way Jesus was going to die, nails through his hands, crucified on his cross, even simple things like how many pieces of silver he was going to be betrayed for. And if you were to say, how, what are the chances that someone could fulfill all 300 of those prophecies? Well, they say that for someone just to fill, fulfill eight of those prophecies would be the probability of one in 10 to the 17th power, meaning one 17 zeros. Jesus fulfilled 300. If you were to say, what's the chance of someone meeting one of uh, meeting 16 of those prophecies?" it's one in, 40, in, in 10 to the 48th power, 48 zeros. For someone just to fulfill 50 prophecies, Jesus fulfilled 300, it's one in 10 to the 157th power, 157 zeros. We couldn't even fathom that number. But Jesus did it. Maybe you're more of a visual learner. Here's a visual idea up on the screen of what this looks like, where you see every time the Bible said something and it became true later on in the Bible. You could completely see this spectrum of all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Every single line at the bottom is every verse and chapter of scripture, short and long, that said something about the Bible in the future or about Jesus or about creation or about what God was doing that came true in the beginning. I pray that this would realize that, oh, yeah, the Bible kind of does know what it's talking about. It's prophetically accurate, meaning that when it says, hey, trust God and he will look out for you, you can trust it at its word because it's already proven itself to be true. The fourth one is this, is that the Holy Bible is thematically unified. It's one theme. It's one statement, Luke twenty four twenty seven. Jesus again says he takes them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What is the subject of the Bible? Jesus. From Genesis one one to the last chapter and Re- last verse in Revelation, it is all about God's redemptive plan through His Son Jesus. It's easy to see the theme, it's easy to see that it's unified across how long it's been written. Here's a quote for you. The Holy Bible was written over a period of 1600 years in over a dozen countries on three continents by 40 people in three different languages. All those factors, one subject, one story, One theme, and it's the story, the true historical person of Jesus who has conquered the grave and is alive today. It is the theme. It is what keeps us unified. In Colossians, it says, in Jesus, all things are held together. The Bible is the story about Jesus from cover to cover. It is the story about the heart of God, exemplified and demonstrated in human form in his one and only son jesus i'm excited about it because it's something that can change your life and has changed mine man i pray that you would love this word even more than you ever have that you would get back to trusting it this this fifth one i believe is one of the most powerful ones the holy bible is trusted by jesus Maybe you're in here and it's your first time. You're, you have some questions about God, questions about Jesus and the church. I believe you're in the right place, and I would love to meet you afterwards. But if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, you have to realize that Jesus trusted the Bible. When he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what did he use as his weapon? Scripture three times When he was introducing his ministry here on earth, what did he use to let people know that the Son of God had arrived? Scripture, when he said, I have come to set the captives free and heal those who are sick and bring forgiveness to those who have sinned. The prophecy of Isaiah that, again, told about him hundreds of years ago. The Holy Bible was trusted by Jesus. Matthew 4, 4, I live by this thing by every single word that comes from the mouth of God. I would challenge you, trust the Bible, because Jesus did. And if you say you have a relationship with Jesus, but your approach to the Bible is eh, it's eh. It's, it's, got some, it's got some weird stuff in there that I don't know how I feel about it. Or I, you know, I, think it's, I think it's a historical book, but I don't believe it has any relevance today. Let me just tell you, I get really fired up when I hear people, And dare I say, even pastors say that this is just a book that was written a long time ago that has no relevance for us today. They're just wrong because it's historically, scientifically, prophetically unified, and it was trusted by Jesus. Think about it this way. If you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but yourself. We'll let that sit for a second because I need to hear it too. If you believe what you like in the Bible but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust but yourself. We can't skip to pages that say, God loved me and he created me, but then white out all the verses that say, and here's how I should live because God created me. We don't get to... White out the fact that it says, hey, once you give your life to Jesus, your life needs to change, and that change needs to be evident. Not only in what we believe, but the way I behave, and God is constantly doing a work inside of me. This is a navigation tool for our life. And yes, it's got some crazy stuff in it, but can I lean into that a little bit and let you know I would much rather believe and trust in something that I have to wrestle with than something that just comes easy? Because if it comes easy, it means I understand it. And it means if I understand it, that it's in my control. And it means that if I'm trusting something that's in my control, when life throws me something I can't control, what do I turn to? I would encourage you to trust God's word. Because here's number six. The Bible has survived all attacks. First Peter 1.25, this is Peter saying this, all right? We gotta remember who Peter was. Peter was the kind of depressed fisherman that was out on his boat and Jesus shouted from the shore and said, hey, why don't you come follow me? And Peter's like, I got nothing better to do not catching any fish, let me just follow you. And dedicated three years of his life to following Jesus. And at the end of those three years, he was a great leader, he was ready to go. Aunt wrong. Denied Jesus, was unwilling to let him know that he was even his friend, did not stand by him in his darkest times, was hiding alone, When Jesus was dead, Jesus had to walk through the walls to show him that he was alive. But God got a hold of Peter's life after Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came into his life. Peter led the church and believed in big things and wrote these down. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Peter is saying, this is the only thing you can trust. This is the only thing that you can stand on. Everything else will fade away. What it says earlier is that People are going to fade away as well. But what God's word says is powerful. And listen, I understand that the Bible and things in it have been used for personal gain. I get it. But that doesn't mean we throw it out because people messed it up. It means we hold on to it because it's worthy of being held on to. Can I have you write down some questions? The band can begin to come up and we're going to close here. But can I ask you some questions? For you, will I attack God's word, or will I choose to live by it? I mean, the Bible survived all the attacks. There's a guy by the name of Voltaire who said that the Bible will be forgotten about in a 100 years. He lived in the 18th century. We're still talking about the Bible, and you probably have never heard, or it's been a long time since you've heard the philosopher Voltaire in your life. What I love about maybe God's sense of humor is that when Voltaire died, the After him saying the Bible will be forgotten about in 100 years, the French Bible Society bought his house. And now it hosts the French Bible Society. I think God has a little bit of sense of humor. But will I attack God's word or live by it? Here's a huge one for 2023. Will I deconstruct it or defend it? I'm just not into the whole deconstruction thing. Because what it's doing is trying to water down God's truth in a way that I now find it acceptable to lead and guide my life. It's chipping things away and chipping things down and cutting things out. So, okay, I'll accept this now. Rather than, you know what, even when I don't understand it, I'm going to defend it. And the last thing is, will I follow the world or the word? I just got to tell you, this thing has never let me down. This thing has never let me down. The passages in its pages have been held through the thousand years of time since it's been written down, but in my innermost needs and my darkest times of my life, it was words from these pages spoken from Jesus, from God, from the prophets, through people that has changed my life. And here's the one, every good thing, like scientific thing deserves to be tested. And so here's the one that you can test. Number seven, the Holy Bible has life-changing power. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you know the truth, and you will know the truth. The truth. Not your truth, not a truth, the truth. And the truth will set you free. The Holy Bible has life-changing power. And I'm gonna give you three things just to put this to the test. It's changed my life, I'll tell you all about it. But maybe you need to personalize it. Number one is, what should I deep dive into God's word look like? I need to love it. And you know know how you love this thing is that you spend time with it consistently. We call it the first 15 here at Local City. That every single day, the first 15 minutes of my day are five minutes listening to a worship song, five minutes of prayer, and five minutes in God's word download the Bible app. We have Bibles up here and at the seven-minute party afterwards. We'll put one in your hand because we believe in it for free because I know if you spend time with this thing consistently, it'll change your life. Science even shows that if you spend consistent time in prayer and God's Word, it will actually rewire your brain in a healthier way. I would go deeper to say if you're really serious about testing whether or not God's Word has life-changing power You're gonna hear some stories this month about people who have taken a deep dive. Give us a year. I know it's a long period of time, but if you really want your life to change, it's gonna take some time. Give us a year. Make Sundays a priority. Do the first 15 every day. If you miss one day, don't miss two in a row. Circles are about to start, get in a circle. Start serving, start giving, see what God does. Because I believe at the end of that year, I would say even before that year, You won't even recognize yourself because you are realizing that you have taken a deep dive into something that truly has changed your life. Second thing is that we should learn it. It's actually important to learn this. (laughs) We study it individually. I will help you in your personal study. I will give you any resource that you need to stand on God's word and help you. I will meet anyone for coffee to answer any questions you have about the Bible because I believe that's what I'm supposed to do as a pastor to lead you to have your own relationship with Jesus and God's word. The, 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 where it says the practical is, is circles. And we our fall semester of circles starts in September. Every single person in our church should be in a circle. But maybe you felt led to lead one. You just want to get in the Bible with people and you want to read scripture. Whether it's like you dedicate the whole time to that or you go and play basketball or go get coffee, but the first thing is that you do is just spend a little time in God's word and encourage each other. And then you connect relationally and have community. You can't do this on your own. There's so much power when you learn God's word together. And my fear is that maybe this today is so deep and dense, it's because we've pushed the Bible away. And it's time to learn it again. And number three, I believe all of us here are in some sense connected to this, is that it's time to live it. Where do I need to live more of the Bible in my life? Where do I need to start building my life on God's word again? And I would have you write down my next step question mark. Don't go to that list yet, if you can go back to number three. Because I believe that God's word is an instruction for our life. When it says in Colossians 3:16, let this message about Jesus fill your lives. I gotta be honest, I've been convicted multiple times in my life, and I'm even being convicted of it now in this season. Of songs I know all the lyrics to, of movies I can quote of shows that I binge watch and can spout off what episode it is. If you say, what's that episode of Seinfeld that's all about this? Got it right here. But I've been convicted about that. Because as funny as that is, as lighthearted as, that is, as it is, those things can't help people. But when someone says, hey, I'm just really feeling depressed. I'm really feeling alone. I can tell them, hey, I, just, I want you to give you this scripture that God says that even before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. And he knew you'd be walking through this, so can I pray for you? It's when it talks about, is, is God really listening? When I, when I pray, I can encourage you with the scripture that says God stoops down from heaven to listen to his kids when they pray. If you would say, is, Jesus, is this whole Jesus thing really real? Is it going to actually change my life? I can give you the scripture that says, anyone, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sometimes we just got to get in the word more. Sometimes we just got to memorize some scripture. There's a lot of short ones that are really great out there. And we need to take that next step. And I just wrote, honestly, I just prayed. I was like, God, what next steps are in our church? What do people need to do? And here's a little list I came up with where you can build your life on the next step that you should take. And I want you to look through this list and we're going to respond in worship and pray and be done in just two minutes here. But where is my next step? Throw up that list on the screen now for me. Maybe it's my next step is to, again, prioritize my personal time with God again. Get back into the first 15, set an alarm right now, tomorrow morning, 15 minutes, are God's. Not my phone's, not anyone else's. Maybe it's just getting back in church consistently and not making it a if we go, but a we're going. Planting myself in God's house. Maybe it's getting connected to a serve team here and serving in God's house and realizing that you were made to make a difference. Here's a big one, maybe it's putting God first financially, tithing, it's not a request from God, it's a command. And if you find a lot of anxiety and worry and fear in that area, it means that's an area where we can pour a lot more trust in God and not in ourself. Maybe it's being an example to those around you, but I just believe in the power of inviting people to church and sharing your faith. You don't have to be an expert on everything in here because you're an expert already on your life and what Jesus has done in your life. But maybe the last one is leading leading something here at Local City that you have a passion for, leading a circle where people can center themselves around God's word. I would say that everyone in, a, everyone in here has a place that they can build their life back on God's word. And I know, I know today was a lot, but honestly, I just, I just want to help you know that this is where you should turn if you want to take a deep dive. God's word. And it'll be here long after I'm done preaching. And that's okay, because I'll be up in heaven with the word of God, with Jesus. But I need to pour this into my family and my sons and my church. You need to pour this into your life and your marriage and your family because it's the only thing that can change their life. It's the only thing that will never let them down. It's the only thing that is eternal. It's God's story of Jesus. It's accurate, true, and it's survived all attacks, and it's going to survive the ones that are going on today. So why don't we hold on to this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.